You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. We are currently working through our Jesus Teaches On series. If you've been joining us, we've been kind of just moving through different parts of the Bible where Jesus teaches on different subjects at different times. Um, And so this week is Jesus Teaches On Anger. And I'm sure that this won't apply to anybody in this room, luckily. And so uh, I actually went and played golf yesterday to make sure if I had freed myself from anger. Turns out I need this sermon as well after playing nine holes with my wife. So... Not from her, just me. (laughs) Uh, It wouldn't be groundbreaking for me to say that it feels like the world is angry. That it feels like the world is getting angrier by the minute, actually. As you start to watch and see and, and experience the news right now, it just feels hostile. I was going through some surveys this week, and I said, okay, what's really going on in the world? And so there was a a survey done um, from Gallup. It's the Global Emotions Report surveyed 160,000 people over 116 countries during 2020 and 2021. You're like, what happened during then? I get it. We all know what happened during that time. But the highlights from that survey are this. Four in 10 adults said they experienced worry or stress. So that's 40% for each of those. About one in four experienced sadness or anger, 27 and 24 respectively. The poll concluded that 2020 officially became the most stressful year in recent history. Nearly 190 million people experienced significant higher stress in 2020 than years in past. In 2020, the world was a sadder, angrier, more worried, and more stressed out place than it has been in the past 15 years. And they said, we understand that COVID was a part of that, but that was not the 100% contributing factor to that. That was just one aspect of it that just escalated that. And then NPR, uh, the IBM Watson Health did a poll as well in 2018 and it said some 84% of people surveyed said Americans are angrier today compared with a generation ago. When asked about their own feelings, 42% of those polled said that they were angrier in the past year than they had been further back in time. See, we are in this weird place right now in the culture, and it feels like it's this, um, you got to pick one side or the other for any subject at any given point about anything that there is. And so you have to kind of like choose a side. And as you choose a side, they, they kind of like promote this idea that the other side is the villain. They're the enemy and you have to make them the enemy and you have to devalue them in some way. And all you have to do is go on YouTube and watch any YouTube video on a political stance and you'll see that's exactly what they do over and over again. And what we find is that we are entered into a world where it's, we're making these people villains and we're saying hateful and vile things to each other. We're seeing people that normally wouldn't get angry actually taking physical action on other people. We're seeing it at, at grocery stores, in malls, in parking lots. People are getting into fistfights. And you've got to start asking, what's going on? What's going on with our world right now? See, the Bible talks a lot about anger. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, talks about anger, and and that's really where I want to land today. But where Jesus wants to press into is anger and how it affects relationships. And if you start to pay attention subtly, you'll notice that Jesus isn't just talking about the relationships between each other. 
but also him and, and what we've had to go through as well. That he's talking about the heavenly and he's talking about the earthly relationships and what anger does to that. And so what I'd love, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Matthew 5, 21 through 26 is gonna be our landing spot today. We'll read through that. We're just gonna talk about a bunch of things and see what Jesus says. And then I'm gonna try to land on some practical application points. If you are someone who struggles, struggles with anger, I want you to know that I, I love you <laughs> and I feel every bit of what you're going through in life. All right. You have heard it said that those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then, <clears throat> and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Least your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let me pray, and we'll jump into this section. Jesus, I thank you for this section of the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you that you love us so much that you help us understand where these issues come from. Lord, as we press into our hearts this morning, where we need to have your light of truth and the gospel shed upon our hearts, I ask that we would respond not with hard hearts, but that we would respond with soft hearts, knowing that you love us and that you care for us, as you've gone to great lengths to show us the evil in the world and what it can do to our hearts if let loose over time. Jesus, if there's anything that's not from you, I ask that it would just get off of my notes and my mind and my thoughts. If there's anything that I do need to say, I ask that you would speak through me, that would be bold, and that I would trust that your words are going to not come back empty. And pray all these things in your glorious and amazing name, amen. All right, so I wanna start with kind of like a, a preamble here, like, Right off the bat, not all anger is bad. Not all anger is actually evil. There is a kind of righteous anger. Uh, we predominantly see that from God. So as God is perfect in all ways, that he can actually show the right kind of anger towards things. And normally we see that poured out on sin and rebellion. That's normally we see God pouring out this anger that's a righteous type. As you look at Jesus in his life, there were different times in the life of Christ where he got angry, about six separate times in the scriptures that we see Jesus getting angry. The issue that makes it different is where does that anger come from and then what do you do with that anger when it shows up? So there is an anger that comes from God and God's ways and what God would call good, right, and perfect. And then there's human anger, which is what we would call good, right, and perfect, and we work out of that. And then the response would be what do you do with that anger when it shows up and how does that play out in your life? So you might be thinking, ah, well, I always have righteous anger. Let me just stop that thought process real quick and help you understand something. It is the rarity that we work out of a righteous anger. It is very, very subtle, very, very small percentage that that may happen. We may actually only stumble upon it. It might not be our default at all. Our human anger tends to be sinful because we are 
sinful. <laughs> That's kind of how that works. We usually have our anger coming from a broken place. And no matter how good you are at justifying it to yourself and to others, it doesn't necessarily make it righteous. And so as we move forward, the premise that I'm going to be working out of today is that we are talking about the bulk of the anger that is ungodly anger that leads to sin. That's where we're going to be focused on, so we're not going to talk about that anymore. So as we look at this section that Jesus is teaching, it has a progression. Now, Jesus is always kind of doing things where they feel like flipped upside down, and he actually starts with the worst case scenario. He starts with murder. You're like, well, that seems really bad. But then as you look at it, it revolves around relationships and how we interact with each other. Now, not all anger comes from relationships, but the majority of that anger is directed at relationships in some way, shape, or form. See, our anger flows from our hearts. It comes from us, the anger that we have, but it can be stoked by interactions with others. Is that a fair statement? And you're like, no, I'm not going to say that because they're next to me. It's okay. You can just wink at me. I understand. So the thing that we need to do is we need to keep this idea in the forefront of our minds is this. God cares about relationships. See, that's going to be key to this text and understanding what's going on. And he's not just concerned with our relationship with him. He's also concerned with our relationship with others. This is the very reason that Jesus came to the world to restore broken relationships between God and us. That is the core of what it is. It's the reconciliation that we'll get to here by the end of the sermon. So it makes sense that, to, that he would speak to this idea as we're talking about image bearers of God and also that are, there's people, as he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, it's about talking about this new kingdom and the people that are a part of his kingdom and how they interact with each other and the world and himself. So he's kind of moving in this direction about what we do as this new kingdom of followers of him. And ultimately what he's going to say is that the interaction with each other is a reflection of our heart and ultimately it's a reflection of a relationship with God because that's where our heart change takes place. So where I want to start is my first point is the seed and the tree. As Jesus starts this section, he's going to point to a, a pretty basic truth that I think that we all understand that it shouldn't be super complicated. Don't murder people. That, that's a pretty acceptable idea. Hopefully you understand that, that that's not a great thing. And so what he points to, he says, you have heard of old. He's referring to Exodus 20.13, Deuteronomy 5.17, Numbers 35.31. The men and women listening to this would have had a background in understanding the laws of God and what they received from Moses and how they should live their life. It's, it's a reasonable request. Now, now, you also have to remember, the men and women of that day, especially the religious men, they hung their hat on the fact that they kept the law, that they met God's requirement, that God made these rules, and I'm going to follow these laws, and so therefore God's happy with me. And it seemed like the murder one was probably the easiest to keep. Just don't go and do this thing where you end someone's life, and you'll be okay. And then we find if you break this law, there's judgment from God, and ultimately there's judgment from the governing authorities. Now, you may be asking the question, Simon, why shouldn't I murder people? Now, if that is your first question, we can meet afterwards. I'll have one of the security guards with me, and so we can have a conversation about why you think that's okay. But you go, why does God make such a big deal about murder? Like, why, why, why is that a thing? Well, think about this. 
We are made in the image and the likeness of God. We are different from every other creature. So if you think about it this way, an attack on us or each other attacking each other is truly an attack on God if we're made in his image and likeness. So that, Simon, that doesn't even make sense. Let me give you an example. If you attack someone in my family, do you think that you'll be dealing with me? That, that, that's a yes. That's a hard yes. You will be dealing with me in some way, shape, or form because those are either my children or my wife. That's my family. So as you look at God and who he is, if he's made us in the image of God and you attack that which he's created that's a part of his family, his children, do you not think that he's going to have a strong response to that? So that's why that becomes a big deal. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to help these men and women understand a very important aspect. He's not correcting the Old Testament law and saying that the Old Testament law is wrong. That's, that's actually not what he's doing. But what he's going to show them is how they've misinterpreted it and they've missed the point completely of the law and what's going on. And Jesus is going to make this really um, large statement that he says all the time. He says, but I say. Now, you think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, he's talking about the law that's from God. And then he says, but I say. You know what he's doing there? He's showing his authority. He's saying, do you, do you know who I am? I can say, but I say, because I understand the law, because I was there when it was created. I am a part of all of this, and it all actually revolves around me, ultimately. And he's making a declarative statement. It's not a good idea. It's, no, I made this. I know this. I know how this functions, and this is actually what it means. And so you should really pay attention to what I'm saying right now. He says, if anyone is angry with his brother, he's going to be judged by the same level as murder. And then he kind of goes a step further. He's like, if you insult somebody, if you call them a fool, you're guilty as murder as well. How can Jesus say that murder is the same as anger and insulting somebody? See, there's, there's things that are happening here. There's these levels, these three things that are happening. If you look at them closely, you're going to start to see the progression of what Jesus is talking about. And there are these two words that are kind of the starting point of where we go. He uses the word insult and fool. And so uh, the, word, the word for insult is raka, which means empty head. It's Aramaic. Uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic because that was a common language during that time in the ancient world. And it means a mildly insulting word used to tease, meaning empty, used to express a low opinion of someone's intellect. Hence, empty head. You have no brains. That's really say you're a, you're a moron. You're an idiot. You're adult. Fill in the blank of your favorite you're not smart insult. And that's what that is. And then he says the other word is fool or moros. It's a foolish person who lacks good judgment. You're like, well, I've said that to a lot of people, Simon. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> See, this is the starting point of the problem. This is the place where everything takes root. It's the seed of the issue that becomes the bigger action later down the road. And if allowed to grow and fester and continue to grow, it will become something more horrible than you could ever imagine. Imagine if I had an acorn and I'm like, hey, be careful with that. It could crush my roof. 
You're like, uh, it's, a, it's an acorn, bro. But if that acorn is put in the ground near my house and allowed to grow for 50 years, eventually that tree gets really big. And if a wind comes and knocks a branch down, it could fall on my roof and break it. That's the idea that he's talking about. This thing, this little seed is what grows into something very big and potentially dangerous for you. In Genesis 127, it says that we're made in the image of God. Keep that in your mind. I'm gonna reference it all the time as long as I'm here. You are made in the image of God, which means you have worth and dignity. See, we are different than every other creature created on this planet. Like, think about that. We, we are, PETA might get upset with me, but we're different than animals. You know how I know that? Because we don't prosecute animals when they murder other animals. We don't prosecute animals and take them to court when they kill a person. We don't do that. You're like, well, we should. Another conversation for another day. But we do, like, you know bears sometimes kill and eat their own young? That's weird. But we don't do anything about it. But if I did that, <laughs> we'd have a conversation with a lot of people, wouldn't we? Because we are different. We are not at the same level. We are made in God's image. And you're like, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? Because when you say that someone is stupid and empty and not important and foolish and a moron, and we roll our eyes at them as though they're a waste of human space, what we do in that moment is we devalue them as a person and we take away their worth. This is where it starts. Devaluing a person is a first step to having a grudge and seeing them as less than human, or let's be really honest, less than yourself. Because that's really what we do. We have a pecking order in our mind of how we view people. See, it's an attack on the image that we were made in. When this seed takes hold, when the seed is allowed to go into the fertile heart and soil of your life, it means that you can treat that person differently now than you once could. You can brush them off. You can see them more and more as an object versus a person and a human being that was made in the image of God. And they start to bug you and annoy you. Maybe you have someone like this that's at your work. And, you, and I, I, all of a sudden, everyone's eyes light up like, oh, I know exactly who we're talking about at my work. And you're like, I don't know who that person is. It might be you. If you don't know who it is, you might be that individual. <laughs> but you start to become annoyed with them, don't you? And they start to bother you. And yeah, at, at first, it was like, ah, oh, whatever. They're just quirky. And now, like, now you're bugging me. And now you're in my way. And now you're making my work harder. Now you're making my life more frustrating. Every time I see you, it be, creates more work for me. I'm starting to not like you. And actually, now, I don't want you around. I keep hoping you get fired. But for whatever reason, they can't fire you. And I don't know why. And then you realize that you're building a grudge against them. And when bad things happen, you're really pretty happy about that. As a matter of fact, you go from just seeing bad things, hoping that bad things will happen to them. You start talking poorly about them. They become the butt of the joke. And then this is where it gets really weird. And when good things happen to them, what does that do in your heart? You become angry, don't you? How could something good happen to them when bad things are happening in my life? I'm better than them. They're, they're just whoever. Good things should be happening to me. Do you see how this seed starts to take root and starts to develop in your life? But it's a poison. This, this whole, this, this is a poison in your hearts. 
And it starts to pour out in everything that we do and how we think and how we act and how we talk and how we engage others. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll be hopeful about this next statement. Most of you will not let your anger grow into murder. I'm really hopeful on that statement. But if you knew that you had poison in your heart, if you knew you had poison in your life, let's say you got bit by a snake and you're like, that might be poisonous. Are you gonna gamble or are you gonna go to the hospital to find out there's poison in your life? If you know it's poison, why would you allow it to stay there? Why would you allow it to potentially kill and destroy you and potentially kill and destroy others? But yet we do. This can affect your heart in a way that doesn't just affect your relationship with others, but actually it affects your relationship with God. See, grudges lead to anger, and anger leads to murder. The seed is to the tree as the fruit of action, and that's what starts playing out. Jesus talks about the kind of worship that he desires. My second point is worship in the right heart, coming out of verses 23 and 24. Now, the problem with religion, there's a lot of problems with religion, but the problem with religion is that People think that God is only concerned with my actions. As long as I do all the actions, he's really happy and content. If I do the prescribed set of rules, if I do the rituals, if I do all the mandates that God's asked, then God will be really happy with me, contrary to what's going on inside my heart. You know why law works in society? We have police officers um, because they say, just do or don't do the thing that we asked you to and everything will be fine. Do you know what a cop doesn't care about when you're speeding? Your heart condition. He doesn't care about your heart. He's like, just don't speed. Don't don't rob somebody. Don't hurt somebody. Because he doesn't care about your heart. We just got to keep the rules and as long as the rules work, society works, as long as society works, everything's fine. Well, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. That's, that's not his issue at all. He cares so much about the heart, more than you could possibly imagine. If you have a healthy heart, what he said is if your heart is healthy, then everything else falls into place. If you look at the Ten Commandments, which are the ones that they were looking to do, the first two commandments, if you keep those, everything else works itself out. Everything else works itself out. And that's what he's saying. This is what makes Christianity so much different than every other religion. It's, it's a heart and relational based, not rules based. He really does care about your heart. Obedience, and there is obedience that God calls to, but obedience isn't about earning God's favor. It's based on a relationship out of love and trust from a changed heart. If the heart is changed, it, it wants to serve that which has changed it. If God has saved us and given us a new heart, I want to serve that God because I trust that God. What he's saying is, all I'm asking is you know that if I have designed everything in the world, if I have created everything and how it works perfectly, shouldn't you trust that God who loves you? Doesn't that make sense that he wants the best for you and he would receive the most glory and you would receive the most joy? That's what he's pointing at in this moment. You, we obey because it's based out of trust and love not out of some obligation to make this deity happy with us. But that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. If I just do the stuff, then God will be happy with me. The example that Jesus actually gives is, is kind of far-fetched. 
It's a little over the top if you look at what he describes in this section. And that's actually the point. The point that it's so absurd that you would realize this is how important it is to God. And he talks about going to the altar. So if you, if you have something wrong with your brother and you're at the altar giving worship to God, you should stop, leave it there, and go. Now, we look at that and go, oh, well, you know, I just shouldn't sing a praise song to Jesus in my car. Or I shouldn't give my offering. Well, that's not at all what he's saying. You got to know the context of what Jesus is saying in that time and in that place. So to worship God, to, to bring your offerings to God, you had to go to the altar. There, there was only one altar. That's in the temple. Where is the temple? In Jerusalem. He's not in Jerusalem right now, which means that's a multiple-day walk with your sacrifice to go to the temple, to wait in line, to have a priest go ahead and do all the things, to have the sins poured out on top of that, to worship God. He's saying, like, if you've done all that and you realize that there's, you have a, a broken relationship, leave it there and leave. Go the couple of days home. Go find the individual and make things right with them. Now, you're like, but that doesn't make sense. Well, it's about the heart. How can you have a heart of worship if you have a, a broken relationship that's connected to another brother or sister in Christ? How would you feel if you, as if you were walking in and David is up here playing some musical music and it was just, it was beautiful and you're like, oh, you just, it's such good. And I'm yelling at David, you idiot, that's in the wrong key, the key of Q. And you're like, there's no key of Q. I don't care, you're doing it wrong. And I take his guitar and I kick it across the stage and I'm like, all right, everyone, let's gather for worship. You, you ready to worship? No, you're not. You're like, and we're done. <laughs> I'm not at this church anymore. That's exactly what God's saying. Because your heart is wrong. How are you going to come and worship me? Actually, as a matter of fact, in Hosea 6, 6, as he is talking with the people of Israel, God's talking to the people of Israel, and they're doing all the stuff. They're following the rules. But yet they're in sin, and they're in rebellion, and they're treating each other poorly, and God is completely frustrated with them. And he says this in uh, Hosea verse 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifices, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He's like, knock it off. Don't think that I'm okay with your offerings if you have this kind of evil and wickedness in your heart. I want you to love me. I want you to know me, and I want to be in relationship with you. And when you have this sin there, you cannot do that. I mean, I, I was pulling up a ton of verses. You can look them up later. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 8. Psalm 51, 16. Psalm 40, 6 through 8. Isaiah 1, 11 through 31. Jeremiah 7, 21 through 23. Hebrews 10, 4 through 10. All of this addresses that very issue, that God is after our hearts. Because if he has our hearts that have been transformed, we can actually live in a way that glorifies God. The Pharisees confronted Jesus about this very question in Matthew 15. And what does he do? He quotes Isaiah 29, 13. That's what he says. You know, what's, what makes a, a person defiled is, was the question. It was all about the food that they ate. And he says this in Matthew 15, 8 through 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's like, this is not the food that goes in you. 
that defiles you and makes you wicked and broken. It's what comes out of your heart. And what comes out of your mouth is what comes out of your heart. That indicates the brokenness of where you are. That's what defiles you. So what Jesus is saying, if you have a broken relationship with a brother and sister, you need to go and seek reconciliation. And if you're not around the church, we throw that word around sometimes. Like, what does that mean? To be reconciled means to become restored or favorable or friendly relations with another after presumed wrong. To make a relationship right again. We know what a broken relationship feels like. I don't need to explain that. But what he is saying is that needs to be made right again. It needs to be whole. It needs to be complete to where it's not just, oh, hello. It's actually like I can enjoy you again. We can be in relationship again. We can be in friendship. We can be in community. My wife and I, during COVID, we were like, well, we got a lot of time on our hands. We should do something productive. And so what we ended up doing is uh, my wife, Annette, and I and two friends, we actually decided to take biblical counseling uh, course. And so we took nine months to get a, a level one certification. And so we went through this long long course of reading and writing and and meeting with people. And uh, it was a great course. Uh, Some of you I've got to sit in my office and I've got to talk with and I've got to do some of that counseling with. And it's been a joy and a a pleasure. (laughs) I need some water. (sighs) I'm hiccuping. But in my biblical counseling uh, book, it says this about anger. Anger is a personal uh, reflexive response to a perceived wrong. It tends to be an emotional reaction to perceived injustice. Okay? Someone or something has wronged me in some way. Something that shouldn't have happened has happened to me or has happened to others that I am connected to in some way, shape, or form. As I looked at this, More and more, I realize this is why anger seems to be so connected to relationships and people. That there is someone who has wronged me based on how I view the world and what I believe. Someone has treated me with injustice or someone that I love or care about with injustice. And it produces a passion in our heart that rises up. And we need to understand that this emotion of anger is actually a passion that is bringing its head out to show what we value. What we're passionate about tends to be the things that we love. If you love being respected, when you are disrespected, you become angry. You lash out. You've been wronged in that area of your life. That idol, the the love of respect, has now been threatened. And and, and just be really clear on this. And, And I'm speaking from a lot of personal experience right now. So just know that I'm talking about what I've learned through my life. Anger is a flag to the idols in your heart. Because as soon as that idol is threatened, you lash out, you hold tighter, and you get real nasty real quick. Where do you get angry? What, what irritates you? What, what causes you to lose your cool, to lose your temper? But what we see is it says that we should be seeking reconciliation. That what we need to do in those moments where we're talking about people and relationships and anger, that we need to see them for who they truly are. An image bearer of God. 
that has worth and dignity just like you do. You're not better than anyone. We're all on the same level here. That they have been created in such a way and they should be treated in such a way. It means that we have to drop that grudge. See, dropping the grudge stops the flow of anger. And though we may not physically kill people, we are killing relationships over and over again. And this heart position is, is what kills, and it's the killer, it's the murder that we have in our lives that we exist in with others. We must realize this. Most conflict, and I, and I meet with a lot of people, and I hear this, my wife, blah, 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 blah. My husband, blah, 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 blah. My child, blah, 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 blah. Do you realize that both parties bring something to the table? There, there's no innocent bystander I've come to find. Everyone is contributing part of the problem. But all we do is focus on the other person all the time, right? Because that's way easier than dealing with my junk. That's way easier than me having to figure out why I'm all messed up and what I've done. All of this, it all points to God and what he's been doing through humanity. This teaching is based on Jesus and what he came for and what he would ultimately do for all of us. See, there's a broken relationship. There's a huge, cosmic, broken relationship. It has been murdered, it has been killed, and it's because of sin. And it needs to be reconciled, and it is our relationship with God the Father. If you look at how sin entered the world, what took place with Adam and Eve? They were there, they heard a lie, that they could be better, and what did they do? They immediately started to question God's loyalty, his love for them, his provision for them, and it caused some bit of resentment, some kind of, I don't know if he really loves us, and they took matters into their own hands. I don't need you, God, I can be my own God. They murdered the greatest relationship they've ever had. But see, God knows that we can't be separate from him and have real life. So Jesus would come to earth as a human to seek out reconciliation for us. See, Jesus takes the first step. Jesus crosses over to us to show us the love of the Father, that there is a God that loves you so much that you must be reconciled to him if there is to be any hope for life. And he offers that to anyone who would call on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he promises new life, that he repairs the broken relationship that has caused this problem of sin and this problem of punishment and the, and the problem of God's wrath being poured out. And Jesus, he, he comes down and he would make all things right. He would make all things whole even when God had the right to be angry because we rebelled against him. He said, no, my son will come and he will step into your place as a substitution. Everything that we've earned with sin. Jesus said, no, put that on me. I'll take the punishment. I'll take the wrath. I'll take the separation and the rejection so they could be with the Father. And he did it willingly because he is a God of love. He is a, he's a father of love and mercy and grace. 
And he wasn't like, hey, get your junk together first and then I'll send my son to come and make things right. That's not what he did. He came. He was love in action. And that love was pointed at you and it was pointed at me. And that's what Jesus is calling us to have, the same kind of love for others. Because he has given us a new heart that's not driven by sinful desires anymore, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this crazy kind of God love out with others. And Jesus says, deal with this issue fast, my third point. Jesus wants his children to get along. He wants us to deal with it fast because when we don't, it kills us and it poisons our new heart and it makes us want to live out of the old heart again. In Ephesians 4, 25 through 27, it says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna stop there. We talked about this in James 1. You guys remember that series we did in James? James 1, 19 through uh, 21, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Remember quick, slow, slow? That's what we're talking about. Be quick to hear the word and truth of God. Slow to speak and defend your actions and slow to anger. Other verses that might be good for a study later if you want. Uh, Psalm 103, 12 through 13, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Ephesians 4, 32, Colossians 3, 12 through 13. See, we've been told all the time, time heals all wounds. You ever heard that statement? Time heals all wounds. Not here, it don't. If you allow bitterness and grudge and anger to rest, does it go away? Because every time you see that person, how do you feel? Oh, I can't stand that guy. Actually, as a matter of fact, it gets worse. It festers. And you can hold on to that for decades. And it won't go away until you seek reconciliation. We need to understand where this anger is coming from. Where it's from, what it does, why, it's, why it takes place. See, all anger comes from something, right? If we talked about anger being a passion, that means there's something that you love more. I want to give you a couple of quick examples so you would understand like how this works as we talk about people who are angry. We talk about flags in our life of idols. Uh, I'll just, I was just convicted, so I figured you should all be convicted as well as I went through this this week. So let's all be convicted together. Uh, let's say there's a husband who is mad at his wife for not being as intimate as often as he wants. I'm sure that never happens anywhere, but that's maybe where that's at. You know what that means? It means that he actually loves intimacy and pleasure more than Christ and definitely more than his wife. See, he's taken a good desire, a good thing, and he's made that an idol in his life because that's truly what he values and loves most. It's not her, it's what he can get. Wives, you're not off the hook. So let's say a wife is mad at her husband because he's really bad at finances and likes to spend money where she thinks she shouldn't spend money. What's going on? Why is she getting mad at him about the money? Because she loves financial security and responsibility more than Jesus and more than her husband for sure. That she likes the feeling that that brings her and she's found her love and her joy and her hope in something other than Christ. 
What about the person who explodes in traffic? No one here. We don't live near L.A. And the, the drivers uh, who are, they get angry at and they're yelling at drivers as they drive down the road. You're like, ah, what about that? What are you really saying? That I love respect and I love an easy commute, which means I love comfort in my life. And when you don't show me respect and I don't have a comfortable commute, what you're saying is that they have threatened your idol and you lash out and yell because someone has messed up your little kingdom. Well, what about the person who, doesn't, who gets mad at non-living things? I know people who get mad. You ever play golf? You want to hear, <laughs> I had a friend tell me, you want to hear a Christian swear? Just take him golfing. And so, <laughs> it'll happen. Just give it enough time. <laughs> I wanted to share a story, but I'm not today. I don't have time for it. Um, well, what, what happens when, when they're swearing at golf clubs and golf balls and lawnmowers and whatever? It's because you believe that, A, if it's about a sport or something like that, you believe that you're better than you really are and you're more talented than you really think you are. And reality has actually shown that you're not. And what you believe about yourself has been destroyed. And so it's easier to get mad at a little white ball than it is for you to say, I'm not as good as I thought I was. At the root of most of this, anger comes from control. My little kingdom is threatened. And in my kingdom, I have little servants that do what I tell them to do. And as long as they do what I tell them to do, everything will be fine. But if you don't, you will feel the vengeance of the king of that kingdom. So we yell at people that we love and we care about and people that we work with and kick dogs and throw lawnmowers across the room because we don't like that they're not serving us the way that they think they should. This is all a result of the fall. A question that I want to put before you today before as we land this plane here is this. If you can answer this question truthfully, it'll begin, it will be the beginning of getting healing and anger in your heart. The question is this. I am angry because I love blank. If you're really honest with yourself, all anger stems from something that you love. In the back, I've actually given a study. It's a little Bible study that I made a while ago when I was counseling people. If you want it, it is in the back. I think David's put it on some of our social media stuff as well that you can come and find. It's just a seven-day study on anger. So every day you have one verse and then seven questions. You can go through that. If you are dealing with anger, please, 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 there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. I've gone through this a lot in my life and God has opened my eyes to the, the areas of anger where they're really coming from. And what I've come to find is this, is I have to lie truth on top of lies because that anger is a lie that you believe that something is better or more beautiful or more joyful than God himself. And when you realize not, you take that scripture and you lay scripture on your heart and it kills that anger, it kills those lies. The last question that I will leave you with today is this. I don't know where you are in your life and in your walk. But if you are angry with somebody, if you have a broken relationship with somebody in your life someplace, you need to stop worshiping right now. And you need to go find that person and seek reconciliation to the best of your ability. It doesn't matter who started it. Because what we see in the person of Jesus, it doesn't matter. We already know who started it. It was us. But he made the first step to go and reconcile it. And if we have that new heart now, we can live in that way and we can reject that anger. Let's go ahead and pray.